Good morning. God's gracious help, God's grace and well-being, shalom be with each one of you this morning. It's good to see each person here. This has been a bit of an unusual week. I think we've had some record temperatures, Christmas Day and Thursday. We celebrated a birth of Jesus on Wednesday. We also experienced a death in our community. Jane Hagen's mother died Christmas morning. So once again, we gather on Jesus' resurrection day to give thanks and praise and to look carefully at a text. Let's pray as we get started. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence. And on this Sunday, when we are concentrating on families and children, we give you thanks for Jane Hagen and all that she has contributed to our congregation, to our children, and we pray for her family, for comfort now. Also be with us. Uh, we pray, Holy Spirit, that our speaking and listening will be pleasing to you. And even more importantly, we pray that who we are will be pleasing to you. Amen. So we need to get up and take care of our children, our families, and keep them safe. The sermon will be in three parts this morning. Um, first will be a little background. An outline is in your bulletin. Second, uh, some interpretation of the text. And then the third part is application. Matthew's Gospel was probably written in the 80s, 80 AD, 80 to 90, by a community closely associated, perhaps next door, to a synagogue in Galilee or Antioch in Syria. This was after the Jerusalem temple had been destroyed in 70 AD. This Christian community believed that Jesus, who had been crucified by the Roman government, was the fulfillment of God's intention for God's kingdom. The angel that appears to Joseph in a dream appears at the end of the Gospel of Matthew at the tomb when Jesus is raised. So this community produced a guide for faithful life. Herod and Archelaus, this was not a democracy. Not ruled by law, it was ruled by people. Herod the Great died in March or April of 4 BC. One of his projects was renovating the temple in Jerusalem. He was treacherous and violent. He murdered his wife, Mary Amne, and their two sons fearful that anyone would seize his crown. So this is the background for the massacre of children in this text. After his death, his kingdom was divided between his three, among his three sons. One of them, Archelaus, who was also brutal, ruled in Judea from 4 BC to 6 AD. He was eventually, because of incompetence, deposed by Rome. After uh, Archelaus, Rome was governed, or Rome governed Palestine through a series of prefects or procurators 
one of whom was Pontius Pilate. One of the other sons of Herod the Great, Herod Antipas, ruled in Galilee. This was the Herod of Jesus' ministry who beheaded John the Baptist. And there was greater political tranquility in Galilee. So that's why uh, Joseph decided to go there. We can use a little uh, imagination with this text because we don't have a lot of details. Jose Saramago, who is a uh, Nobel Prize winning Portuguese author, in his book, The Gospel According to Jesus Christ, he imagines that Joseph, Jesus' father, may have worked at the temple in Jerusalem on this temple project, commuting from Bethlehem a few miles. And in this book, Joseph uh, regrets for his whole life that he wasn't able to warn the other children. But even more importantly than background, what is at stake here in this text? What is at stake? At stake is Jesus' growth and development and his safety and how he was shaped by his family. Now, sometimes it's good just to color a text, and that's what I've done. Just take a crayon or something and underline it, and, and the text in, in your bulletin is colored, and uh, it draws attention to words and phrases that recur. And then if you look at the sermon outline, the same color coding applies. First of all, the magenta color there, dreaming. See how this recurs? Joseph is open to God. We've discussed dreaming in the past. We're not going to dwell on that today. Then let's look at the red print. This is the heart of this message. Joseph gets up and takes along his family. He keeps his family safe. They are refugees. They are not tourists. The Greek word uh, lambano means to take or receive. This particular verb is called is paralambano which means to take into intimate or close association. It means to take with or take along. Uh, it means when the angel appeared to Joseph, it doesn't just mean take Mary as your wife, it means take her into your house. Take her into your home as your wife. And in this text, it means to take along your family or take with. Take into close association. Matthew 1.20, after he reflected on these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary into your home as your wife, for that which is conceived of her is from the Holy Spirit. Matthew 1.24, Raymond Brown, who uh, very important author on the birth, birth of Jesus, he took his, so Joseph got up, and he took his wife home. Okay, let's look at today's text. And after they departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appears to Joseph in a dream, saying, after getting up, take along the child and his mother, and flee into Egypt, and stay there until I tell you, for Herod intends to look for the child in order to kill him. Then, after getting up, he took along the child and his mother. These are the same verbs repeated. In the nighttime, and took refuge, or flee, this is the same word, in Egypt, and he was there until the death of Herod. 
so that that which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, Out of Egypt I have summoned my son. And later in the text, Now after Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appears in a dream to Joseph, again saying, After getting up, take along the child and his mother and go to the region of Israel, for the ones who are seeking the life of the child have died. Then after getting up, he took along the child and his mother and entered into the region of Israel. So this is a taking up and taking along with. The other consistent verb here is to get up, move. After getting up, get up and take along your family so they will survive. Now let's look at the blueprint a bit. God's salvation story. Just think, Joseph and Mary are part of a much bigger story. If you read these fulfillment quotations, think about Joseph um, in the Old Testament going into Egypt, right, with his family, with Jacob. Think about Pharaoh, who was a tyrant. He was killing all the newborn babies. But Moses was kept safe. Remember that in the basket? Moses was safe. And then Moses, when he killed an Egyptian, had to flee. And then God told him the very same words that are in this text. The people who are seeking your life have died so you can go back home. And then Israel came out of Egypt. Uh, so this is all part of God's uh, bigger story. And then Ra uh, Rachel weeping here, this could pertain to the uh, 8th century, like 721, when Assyria overran Israel, or it could be the 6th century, when Babylon took Jerusalem. It could be either of these times, much weeping. Uh, being a Nazarene, uh, this is right with Samuel and Samson, okay? This is part of the story, part of the big story. Let's look at the black print, bold print here. Uh, killing, okay, a tyrant rules here. Children die. This is not God's will. This is sin. These people are martyrs. God is weeping too. Very unclear about the numbers here. This could vary widely from a few 20 to many more. We don't know. So let's look at application. Where the good news of this gospel text meets our lives, these are touch points, real life. First of all, the magenta, the uh, dreaming. Well, God communicates with us. We also desire intimacy with God. We need to be upright like Joseph. Let's look at the red again. We get up and take our children and families to ourselves for safety. There are new parents here in this congregation and uh, other parents that, with older children and grandparents and uh, uncles and aunts. Um, safety is, a, is really a big uh, issue. And uh, our discipleship team has done a lot of the good work on safe church so that we have a safe place in our homes. Uh, I think Jay and others have asked for feedback on equipment, the playground equipment. There's some pictures of uh, playground equipment I took in Washington. One is by the uh, Washington Park pool, and one is over by the um, Washington Park building. It used to be Washington Middle School. Uh, this is a park or school type construction, which is safe and durable. Um, so, Jay, that's my recommendation. 
but uh, anyway, you know, safe playground equipment. This is, uh, this is important. Our digital culture. I was watching uh, 60 Minutes, and there was a person there who would say, I'm going to start putting out a, uh, a rumor. I'm going to do one after the other. So, you know, one after the other, every few minutes, he started a rumor on Facebook, and people listen to this. I mean, how do you know? How, do, how can we protect our children from what is true and what is false? Eric, several Sundays ago, Pastor Eric mentioned uh, guns. This is an issue, of certainly, of safety. And, um, I read somewhere, I don't know if this is true or not, but uh, in some state, if, you know, I always, as, as a physician, used to tell families that their home would be safer if they don't have guns. Okay, but I read somewhere that if uh, physicians tell parents that, they're liable for prosecution. If they speak out and say that much, that you shouldn't have a gun in your house, you're liable to be prosecuted. And I don't know if that's true, but it may be. So we need to speak out. So look at the blue again. God's big picture, fulfillment. We are part of God's salvation story. We are part of God's shalom project. Jesus is a special person, and we are not Jesus's. We are not the Messiah. But Jesus is not ashamed to call us sisters and brothers. We are part of the family. Jesus shared our flesh and blood. We are part of this story, this big story. This is amazing. Finally, the bold print. We take along all the children and families of the world, not just our own families. We use our resources, hands, and voices. In today's uh, everyday Christian spirituality, I put uh, material from the United Nations Commission on Refugees. This was first, this was international law, first uh, agreed to in 1951, but then it was updated and renewed. I think it's important to think, remember that being part of a particular social group or having a political opinion, having to flee for those reasons uh, often is connected. Um, often the economic reasons are connected. You know, the people who are starving or flee for economic reasons also have experienced often violence and threats. Those things can't be separated often. We know from our experience in Columbia why people leave. Why, people, why do people have to leave their communities? If you're a farmer and you want to grow a certain crop and, and let's say a cartel or a paramilitary wants you to grow an illicit crop and you don't, they can run you right off your land. Or if a big corporation wants your land, they can run you off. Or if your daughter does not comply with the guerrilla commander's wishes, you can be put on a hit list. Or, heaven help us if you would advocate politically for reform, for land reform, or for justice, you would be on a list for assassination. It's very clear for that. And if you live in a community, a city somewhere, which is run by a gang, they will, for protection, will take part of your salary. I mean, um, People, this is why people uh, flee. This 
if you know what this is, this is a picture of the Rio Grande, Grande River. And I'm not showing the picture that goes along with that because it would be inappropriate here, but you've probably seen it of a father and his daughter drowned on the edge of that river. Okay, this is the mother here. She was uh, interviewed. She's from El Salvador. She was interviewed on 60 Minutes, and the reason she wanted to talk was because of her faith in God. It's a wonderful testimony. Migrants now are routinely forced to wait for months in camps to start the asylum process. Those who despair of waiting turn to more remote and dangerous routes across the southern frontier. UN Protocol notes that people take precedence, sometimes even over laws. Have you seen the movie Harriet? Have any of you seen that movie, Harriet, uh, Harriet Tubman? Okay, she broke laws, didn't she? She, was, she belonged to someone. She was someone's property. And in leading slaves to freedom, she certainly broke laws. It's a picture of something that would be familiar to you. You know that? Okay, this is a woman who is fleeing from domestic violence. Okay? And in a preceding, in a, in a recess in the proceeding, um, they went outside and, and uh, she wanted to get a drink of water and Abraham Lincoln said, well, I hear there's really good water in Tennessee. the plaque, and then there's a picture of a, um, that's where Abraham Lincoln practiced law. This is on the Washington blacktop, not too far from here, on his circuit. So in Columbia, as we said, there are many, and Columbia, there's also many internally displaced people driven off their land. So how can we get up and take families of God's world along? Now let me say this is very complex very complicated issue. Um, as uh, friends in Colombia say about the peace process, it's complicado, very complicated. But we need to learn and think about it. We can support MCC and our mission network, Christian peacemaker teams. MCC works for refugees and alternatives sometimes to Im immigration. I saw once where people were forced off their land, so they were up in the mountains where the land was terrible. Well, MCC was helping them grow fish with some fish projects so that they could, wouldn't have to leave sustainable. Our relief sale helped. Our coins this morning, this is our Christmas presents for Honda Vida and Gethsemane churches. They will host Andrea Castro, hopefully, and a she's working in Casa Alitas in Tucson, and a delegation from Colombia later in the summer, perhaps. Andrea's Holy Spirit-led presence with immigrant families creates a space where Jesus is present. Jesus ministers. So we use our voices. I'm not an authority on immigration, and you are, I respect and love whatever your opinion on this, but, but we can learn and speak out, and there I've, we've kind of updated our envelopes. They're in the library there uh, year, a number of years ago. Um, remember, I wrote a letter to Hillary Clinton when she was Secretary of State and asked for a immigrant policy that does not separate families, and it hasn't changed too much. And if you want to write, if you want to act, you know, you say, dear uh, 
Congressman LaHood. Thank you for serving our country. Thank you for making decisions. We pray for you and wish the best for you and your family. Please, as member of Congress, actually tackle this issue. Deal with the issue of immigration and come up with a plan, come up with a policy that protects families, keeps families together, doesn't separate children, that hastens the asylum process, that realizes that uh, immigrants contribute a lot to this country, and finally, that we could show some interest in governments, try to help these governments somehow. The president of El Salvador was on 60 Minutes not long, not long ago. He's a very articulate person, um, you know, perfect English. Um, he's trying to make that country more like Costa Rica and Panama. So, you know, what is true security for communities? True community security consists of roads, schools and health care and internet and plumbing. You know, it doesn't, that's probably more enduring than bulletproof vests or armored cars or, um, so, you know, is there something that, that uh, our leaders can do to help strengthen the middle class in these countries? This is a wonderful opportunity. So, you know, don't hesitate to, if you want to get up and, and have an action response, uh, this would be, would be one. We could write our governor, Pritzker, urging him to accept refugees. I think our state is probably one that does that. There's a Journal Star editorial on, on uh, December 15th that pointed out, uh, you know, the economic benefits of, of having um, people come. You know, we need, especially in a, in a state that uh, uh, is losing population, like Illinois, that this is helpful to us. So God is waiting for us to get up, like Joseph, and fulfill the command to take children and their parents along. I visited with a person recently who wondered, pondered, why are we born here? Why are we living here? Why weren't we born in a Syrian refugee camp, for instance? There are children there, again, reported on 60 Minutes, that don't know that chickens come from eggs. They don't know that fish live in the sea. They spend all their time in these camps. Why aren't we there? Why? It's certainly not because we're any better than those people. When do we see Jesus as a stranger or hungry or naked? Makes me think of the last part of Matthew. You know, people are going to say, well, when we were helping people out, when we were providing help to refugees or those who are hungry or naked, when was it you, Jesus? When? We'd like to know, when was it you? There's another group that are going to ask, I don't believe that you are never hungry or naked or in prison or stranger. So I think we can decide which group we want to be in. What are we waiting for? Justice shall guard his throne above and peace abound below. We sang that 
start our service. Let's pray together. God, thank you for life out of death. Jesus, our risen Lord, thank you for your presence as we listen and proclaim. Thank you for sharing in the life of a refugee and immigrant. Thank you for including us in your family. Thank you for safe places, places of refuge as Egypt was for Jesus. Thank you for a safe church and safe family. Holy Spirit, help us to get up like Joseph, our example, to be open to your voice. Help us like him to fulfill your urging to get up and take along our families, our children and the families, children and the mothers of the world to safety. Amen.